bull weevils in the cotton patch, king get them out. And it's all that we have to talk about. We've got good people and their beliefs. What we need for the people is a farm relief. And it looks to me we should all agree. What we need for the people is a farm relief. We can eat sow belly with turnip greens. But we sure do have to plan and scheme. We all start working at the break of day, and we don't get credit, and we don't Hello, get Hello, welcome to the American Writers, 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, in this episode, I'll be finishing up my thoughts about Let Us Now Praise Famous Men by James Adji uh, and Walker Evans, who contributed the, you know, the essential photographs of this work. Um, I don't know, it's like the... The middle part of this book is kind of what you expect when you maybe are reading a book about the lives of sharecroppers, because it's what it presents. It's their life, their work, their incomes, the struggles they face, the challenges they have in life, and all of that. Um, the beginning part of the book, though, you're kind of told right away that that's not quite what you're going to get there, because it's a lot of personal reflections, a lot of, uh, like his own day-to-day interactions with these three families, uh, his emotions about it, his guilt, his, and, and it really is written in kind of this, in the, using the tools of literary moder- modernism. Adji was a big fan of James Joyce uh, and an early advocate of, of, of James Joyce. And obviously Joyce played with different conventions and styles. And, you know, what I was thinking is, I mean, I know I mentioned this earlier in the in the series, but you know, like Joyce, Ulysses, certainly Finnegan's Wake, which I have never really read, but um, it's, this seems to be true for that, especially. But even Ulysses, it's hard to it's a hard book, right? I mean, it's not impossible to read, but it's hard, and it takes an investment of time, and it takes it's a challenge. Um, and it's also about kind of the common man, right? Uh, like this story is. But when you get the audio, good audiobook version of, of Ulysses and you listen to it, it's much more understandable. It's much easier to, to experience. And Adji even says, like, you should read this aloud if, if you can. And I'm thinking more and more, like, this really needs a free audiobook version, right? Unfortunately, this is still copyrighted. And so you can find audiobook versions of it, but you have to pay for it. Um, you know, it'll be nice once this reaches public domain. I think it'll be another 10 years, I guess, before that will happen. But it'll be nice then to have like a LibriVox version of someone to read this. Because I, I think especially the first quarter and the last quarter, which are really more experimental in in tone, in, in style, in ideas, that they are kind of, it's hard to make some sense of, of, of all that he's trying to do here in this book. Um, at least I think so. I'm, I'm not the smartest guy, obviously. So I, I try. I, I try to do what I can. But, you know, I, I found I'm kind of wrestling with this book in a way I, I don't feel I'm doing with, with many of the authors I've looked at in this podcast. So this is really, really a special book. And uh, I can't recommend it enough 
for the experience of it. Although I'm not sure it's the, I'm not sure this is the book I'll go back to in, in the future, or at least not for quite a while. Maybe if I ever do get an audiobook version, I might go at it again that way uh, to listen to it. Because um, I think it'd be nice to do that. How long would this be as an audiobook? I'm guessing 15 hours or so, probably. So, um, anyways, maybe less. Um, now, the part I want to look at today, so the, the last thing we looked at, I think, was education. And we talked about the, the failure of, of, of education to really provide a way out for these, these families. Um, and then we get a, a section called the intermission, conversation in the lobby. And it's not that. It's not a conversation in the lobby so much. And, and what it is is he talks about in how in May 1939, which isn't that long before this book was even published and finished you know, and written, three years after he left Alabama and, and you know, three years after the visit, he talks about how Partisan Review sent writers a questionnaire of seven questions. Um, and then he puts his answers to that here. It, it seems out of place, but he's sort of talking about writing uh, and the role of writers in, in America at the time, of criticism, of, of politics of writers and all that. And like the first question here, are you conscious in your own writing of the existence of a usable past? Is this mostly American? What figures would you designate as examples, elements in it? Um, would you, for example, say Henry James' work of more relevant to the present and future of America writing than Walt Whitman's? Second question, do you think of yourself as writing for a definite audience? If so, how would you describe that audience? Three, do you place much value on criticism of your work as received? Do you agree that the corruption of the literary supplements by advertising um, has made serious literature criticism an isolated cult? Four, have you found it possible to make a living as a writer? Six, do you find in retrospect that your writing reveals any allegiance to any group, class, organization, religion, region, or system of thought? Six, how would you describe the political tendencies of American writers as a whole since 1930? That's an interesting question, by the way. And seven, have you considered the question of your attitude towards the possible entry of the U.S. and U.S. into the war. So the, this was apparently sent out to a bunch of writers, and Adji includes his responses in this book. Let us now praise famous men. Again, th written three years after he left Alabama, really not on the surface having too much connection with uh, the book itself. But we're being told here that this is also a book about about literature and about writing and about the writer and the writer's relationship to America, I think, because that's why he found these questions interesting. Now, as for the usable past, um, he's kind of indifferent to this. He thinks every author will have its own usable past, and he thinks, you know, he mentions a lot of non-American writers as being part of his own personal like, consciousness, right? like the background of his own mind, including Van Gogh, Swift, Dostoevsky, Blake, Jesus Christ, Brady's photographs, etc. Um, and he, he kind of ends this with a question of his own to the audience, quote, and why, do, what, and why does it have to do with American writing, present or future, when Whitman, Beethoven, Blake, Christ, Celine, and Tolstoy have so much in common, end quote. So he's, he's kind of rejecting the idea of a distinctly American literature. So he's scolding me. I guess, um, F from the grave for, for doing a podcast on American writers. Uh, he has the same kind of indifference to this idea of what's an audience. 
um, he says no good writer can actually care about his audience really or what the audience in the future will be um, as for criticism he says I respect the criticism of those I respect and, and really not others um, question four which is dealing with uh, making a living from writing he says no <laughs> I don't make a living from writing this is still a relevant question too um, he says no society no matter how good can be mature enough to support a real artist without mortal danger to the artist um, no one only oh sorry only no one may need worry for this same good artist is about the only one sort of human being alive who can be trusted to take care of himself this is a direct contrast i think to like the oscar wilde argument in the soul of man under socialism if you remember that article he argues that society should support should support socialism because socialism is a better foundation for individuality and creativity because our needs are taken care of and this kind of liberates us to be true individuals and true artists which we can't be if we're you know all basically trying to make a living or we're worried about where our next meal is coming from or or worried about humanity as a whole right this is something i think Agi's not particularly interested in like programs and responses to it but he certainly has a lot of pathos about poverty and he thinks about it a lot right but you know I, I think wild's point is if we're obsessed with these questions of like how can we have a just society we're not going to be truly full full writers we're going to have these duties to to others right charity as he calls it and without you know if we have a system in which charity is taken care of by society as a whole this this just frees us um at G doesn't think a society can uh, without damaging the artist. So a very different view. He thinks uh, a, a coddled artist, I guess, is not going to be as good one. Um, as for his loyalties, question five, he says he had allegiances to Catholicism and the Communist Party, but he abandoned his loyalty to the Communist Party. Um, I don't know when. I, I don't think he was ever like a Communist Party member. He says, I'm most certainly for an intelligent communism. He puts all these words in quotes. For an intelligent communism. All these words in quotes. No one form or theory of government seems to be conceivable, but even this is only part of much more and a means to an end. And in every concession to a means, the end is put in danger of all but certain death. I feel violent enmity and contempt towards all factions and all joiners. So maybe he's a little bit more anarchist. Um, <clears throat> political tendency of American writing, that's question six. Uh, he says, smells, it smells no more or less to heaven than all the other tendencies of all the tendential sheep who make up the bulk of what they please to call literature and who are perhaps the worst of all poisoners of the air against good writing and the most effective secondary stimulus towards the development of ferocious ferocity and personal integrity. No, I do not like literary nationalism either nor peace, nor democracy, nor war, nor fascism, nor science, nor art, nor your evident self-assurance that by the act of talking in favor of the necessary independence of the revolutionary artist, you know more about it than Granville Hicks does. I would say to this, I actually do think there is a kind of a leftward trend in American culture. I'm getting this though from Michael Denning in his book called The Cultural Front, which talks about like the proletarianization of American literature and art. 
in the 30s as a result of the Great Depression. Um, and Adji doesn't see it, but whatever. Um, there's a lot of cynicism, I think, in these responses. Cynicism against the masses or something. Kind of the vulgar trend of, of literature, I guess. As for the war, um, he, he kind of just meditates on, on the various possibilities. Um, he kind of gives five possibilities that, that could happen. Um, if, if war broke out, what would he would do? One, he could support it in kind of a casual way, just be a journalist or something. Two, join the Stalinist party and do what I was told. <laughs> Three, stay wherever I happen to be, mind my own business. Four, stay wherever I happen to be in right of what I thought about the war. Or five, escape from it and then do his work. And he says the most likely are one, three, and five. Um, and he thinks his responsibility as a writer is either to like, support the war effort or escape it and just continue his own work. Two, joining the Stalinist party is the least attractive to him. So he doesn't talk so much about America entering the war and its possibility, but he instead talks about his own personal feelings about that. So this section, this intermission, just is thrown in in this book. And I wonder why. I, I think he's... But I think he's, he's trying to remind us that he's not trying to be political. He's not trying to... He doesn't have an agenda. Um, so, many of, so much of the comments that he makes here are against the agenda of the times and against writers having such an agenda. So then we get basically the last section of the book. It's called Part 3, Inductions. And this section reads very much like the first hundred pages of Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, where we see him talking about his different encounters and experiences and, and moments with these three families, the Gruders, the, the Woods, and the Ricketts. Those are, of course, the fake names for these families. And he returns to a theme that was there early in the book as well, which is kind of the proper role of the artist in talking about families like these, these, these poor sharecropping families under so much strain under so much uh, economic pressure, forgotten, not really helped by society, even the New Deal doesn't seem to help them very much. And he writes, if I were going to use these young lives of yours for art, and he's writing to them, he's, the, the audience of this passage is the families, right? If I was going to use these lives of yours for art, if I were going to dab at them here, cut them short there to make some trifling improvement over there in order to make you worthy of the Saturday review of literature, I would now just, for instance, be very careful of anti-climax, which you must understand is not quite nice. It happens in life, of course, over and over again. In fact, there's no such thing as a lack of it. But art, as all of you would understand, if you had had my advantages, has nothing to do with life, nor more to do with it than is thoroughly convenient at a given time. A sort of fair-weather friendship or gentleman's agreement or practical idealism, well understood by both parties and by all readers. However, this is just one of several reasons why I don't care for art, and I shan't make much bother, I'm afraid. There was an anticlimax, a picture-making still going on when your children, George, came along. You, Louise, and you, Junior, and Bert. And then he kind of goes on uh, along this, this way. But... Um, 
Yeah, so much on we here about like the role of art, about its place in even describing such families. He's critical of journalism. And I guess here's where I get maybe a little frustrated with Adji is I don't know what quite to make of this. Like, where does this leave us? Right. We can maybe describe, but even he says we really can't describe these because you're always going to be leaving something out. You're always going to, it's always going to be kind of subjective. You're always going to get the mind of the author and not the source. As much as you want to let these people's lives and experiences speak for themselves, he realizes that's not possible. There's always the overall audience to consider. Maybe the only way ultimately is to have them be the sole audience of the book, right? I mean, or have them write it themselves. And, and sometimes, to be fair, Adji gives them brief moments of their voice, but very, very rarely. He almost never lets these people speak. He talks about what they do, and sometimes in very detailed, straightforward ways. You know, like literally talking about their motions around the house and, and, and what he's doing as he's watching them go around the house and you know, how they go to the door or whatever. And, and how they open the door, or how they turn on the light or, or how they go to the kitchen to this other room. It's very mundane, everyday life stuff. And he's just the observer there documenting it. And, and in that way, he maybe lets them speak a little bit, but not really that much. It's not like, why can't we have just the interview with the groupers? Like, what do you feel about these things? You know, and I guess that's not really what Adji wants to do here. Anyways, I find it frustrating, to be honest, after having kind of, I read this years ago. I was kind of struck by its contribution. And now that I've kind of come at it and try to grapple with it a little bit more detail for this, this podcast, I'm finding less I know what to do with it. It's, I, I do want to come back to it. Maybe maybe I'll record it myself, you know, read it out loud to see if that changes my feelings on it. Um, it is very impressionistic, so I, I think that helps. Well, I mean, like reading aloud will help because of its impressionistic um, style. Um, he wrote in this very long section, by the way, it's, it's fairly lengthy. This like part three inductions. Um, he even talks about how he starts to kind of lose a sense of himself and where he is even a sense of reality. Um, he says, I scarcely can understand how a loss of the reality of simple actions upon the specific surface of the earth, this country, these roads, these odors and noises, the action of walking in the dark in mud, the approach, just what a slow succession of certain trees past your walking can implant in you can mean to you. The house as it stands there, dark and darkness, the indecisiveness, the bellowing dog, the conversations of questioning, defense, assurance, acceptance, the subtle yet strong distinctions of attitude, the walking between the walls of food and the sitting and eating, the tastes of several foods, the weights of our bodies and our chains, the looks of us in the lamplight and the presence of the walls of the house and of the country night, the beauty and stress of our tiredness, how we held quietness and gentleness and care towards one another like three mild lanterns held each other at the uh, met heads of strangers in darkness. Such things and these are just a few I have not managed to get give their truth and words, which are a soft, plain-featured and noble music, each part in the experience of it and in the memory so cleanly and so simply defined in its own terms, striking so many chords and relations about once, which I can but have blurred in the telling at all. 
So this blurring of reality is how we feel reading this. And I think it's, that's a, another frustrating thing with this is you get these little vignettes and it is kind of surreal at times, these descriptions. Like sometimes we'll just talk about like the food, the biscuits and how they're cut and, and, and how they taste and how the house smells. Um, all these just little fragments of, of life blurring together into this experience. Um, so I don't know what to make of all this. Um, part three goes on like this. One of the more challenging parts of the book, to be sure. Uh, then we have a, a section called Shady Grove Two Images, which are just two little vignettes of 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 the place. Um, One is the graveyard, uh, the local graveyard, and the other is here. The last words in this book had been spoken, and the, the, these that follow are not words. They're only descriptions of two images. One is of Squitchy Gruder and his mother as they are in the open hall, and one is of Ellen Woods as she lies sleeping on the edge of the front porch, both in silent white hour of the summer day. And so he gives these little descriptions. Um, then he has the, the reprinting of the Let Us Now Praise Famous Men like, quote. And this comes from the, the book of Sirach um, or Ecclesiastes. Um, looking it up in the Wikipedia. It's not to be confused with the actual book of Ecclesiastes. So it's like... Uh, just a work of Jewish writing. All right, the book of Sirach, also called the Wisdom of Sirach, or simply Sirach, also known as a, the book of Ecclesiastes, or Ben Sirah, is a Jewish work originally in Hebrew of ethical teachings uh, written by Ben Sirah of Jerusalem back 2000 BCE. Um, so you, he's got the full quote there. And then just a few more fragments in notes and things. The whole book, though, ends with a, a third on the porch um, segment. And then, then it just sort of ends. So, I don't know. I'm kind of frustrated and, and, and not quite sure what to say about this, this book. I, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me out. Maybe this is one of those episodes where, where I kind of need you to to help me a little bit if you have read let us now praise famous men i think there's a lot going on i think there's a lot of deep philosophy behind it that if you're not really tuned into it's hard to know what he's exactly saying at all in all times he's not we're not getting a sociological document of these three families that's the most important thing to remember and never to forget when you read this book this is really agi talking about art talking about the function of the artist, talking about the relationship between the writer and reality, um, playing with different types of writing. Um, and in that sense, is he using these families? Uh, he, he is in a way. I almost like prefer the Walker Evans photographs sometimes more than the actual writing here because that just presents this is their life, right? Um, of course, photography can fall into the same trap as writing in, in misrepresenting things, but it seems it's not as 
it's not as personal for Walker Evans. It's like you don't feel you're getting Walker Evans like meditations constantly as you do when you read Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, the text itself. But anyways, I'll just leave at that. I'll let you uh, explore this book if you want. Um, I was kind of intimidated to get into it. Um, so part of me is kind of glad to be over with it. So anyways, next work uh, is called, the next thing we're going to look at is called The Morning Watch. And the Morning Watch is really a little novella um, written in 1951, which is about kind of autobiographical. It's about his time kind of in a boarding school, uh, an Episcopalian boarding school, I guess. Um, yeah. So we'll look at that. That's very short. It's less than 100 pages, but I'll devote an episode to it. Um, and then we'll look at Death in the Family for a couple episodes, and then we'll be almost done with Adji. So anyways, that's, that's what's coming up. Um, I'll talk about Morning Watch with you next time I record. Um, and yeah, that's going to be it for now. So let me know what you think. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts about this book, about inquiry into poverty during the Great Depression years, are there other books that are more straightforward investigations that, that do things better than Adji? Um, I mean, what about the role of the writer in confronting social problems and poverty and inequality? What, what is their role there? Um, is he right to not try to solve these problems? Is, is he right to, to try to go at it more artistically, I guess? Um, I don't know. I, I'm conflicted a little bit. So, but anyways, let me know what you think. Uh, send me your email. Send me your comments. And I'll, I'll see you next time where we'll talk about Morning Watch. Hopefully a little bit easier. We can all agree around. what we need for the people is the farm relief. Too high in the market, too low. We ask for credit and they all say no. We got good people and they all know well what the poor old...